0: If you have your Bibles today, to turn to Luke chapter 1, uh, and we're going to have a little time of Bible study before we dismiss this morning. If you don't have a Bible, like, uh, like we often say here, if you didn't bring one, if you forgot one, if you don't have one and just want one, our ushers are coming down the aisle, they'll give you one, just raise your hand. Uh, we've given away in the past 13 weeks nearly 200 Bibles at our church. We want all of our people to have a Bible, use a Bible, so if you don't have one, uh, please feel free to, uh, to grab one. If you want to, and then we should have handed you some sermon notes when you walked in and a pen. So you could take notes this morning uh, if you want to as we study God's word together. Uh, and as we prepare to study, can we just let's just say a prayer together uh, and then we'll begin our time in God's work today uh, in Luke chapter one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to just come out, come and, uh, and hang out and watch these kids. And Lord, we're reminded so many times um, in the Bible when you were trying to teach a faith lesson You did it through the eyes of children, and you said, look at at the kids, watch the kids, because the way that they love Jesus uh, is the way you're supposed to do it. So Lord, thank you for that great reminder today. Thank you for, uh, Lord, all the talented kids who were able to memorize lines and lead the drama and uh, and sing songs and uh, just do everything they did. Lord, thank you. Uh, Thank you for all that, all the joy that that brought us. And now, Lord, as we study your word, I just pray that uh, in this Christmas season, you'll remind us what it's all about. Uh, you'll remind us, Lord, the type of people that you came to touch, uh, and Lord, I pray that in this Christmas week, uh, that maybe you'll just encourage our hearts a little bit uh, by what we learned today. We love you, as He sings in Jesus' name, and everyone said, "Amen." You know, I'll give you one guess as to which one of these kids up here was was my son uh, in the play this morning, um, and and I'll help you guess by 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 saying this. Uh, all last week, Danielle was teaching Christian how to slide on his knees, uh, across the stage, um, through our kitchen back and forth. Uh, the hay bale thing, he, he learned on his own, but the, the little guy with the glasses and the guitar, that was mine. Uh, and how scary was it that that girl looked so pregnant? For those of you who have been pregnant, <laughs> thought, whoa, where'd y'all find a pregnant kid? Uh, and Danielle said, no, that's a, uh, that's a bike helmet, but that was, uh, that was wild. Um, and then Joseph almost threw, threw the baby at one of the wise men. I mean, I just, I love Christmas music because I love Christmas. Uh, you know, today we heard a little bit about the Christmas family, Mary and Joseph, and uh, we met their son who had a lot of hair for, for a newborn baby. Uh, but when we talk about Christmas families and Christmas in general, uh, you know, my mind immediately drifts to other Christmas families who have become a part of my family tradition. You know, I kind of think of my Christmas father like many of you uh, as Clark Griswold. Uh, and if you've seen the, uh, the movie Lampoon's Christmas uh, Family Vacation, I'll watch that between now and Christmas and I'll laugh as if I've never seen it before. Uh, I was actually at a gas station last night and a guy walked in wearing, I mean, a, a spot on Cousin Eddie outfit with the with white sweater and like the dark dicky underneath. And he had on white platform shoes and he wore it so well, like I wanted to say to him, that's a great outfit, but, but he was so confident in the way he was wearing. I thought, well, maybe, what, what if he's not dressed up as cousin Eddie, uh, and that's just who he is. So I didn't say anything, but I desperately wanted to, because I recognized it the minute that, uh, that I saw it. I think about great, great Christmas families, uh, great, great Christmas movies. I think about The Family Man with Nicolas Cage. Maybe you saw that movie, which it was, was kind of a remake. Uh, of It's a Wonderful Life, but another great, great Christmas movie, Ebenezer Scrooge. I love the old one with George C. Scott. Jim Carrey just made kind of a semi-animated one. A few years ago, uh, I love a Christmas story with little Ralphie and his Red Ryder BB gun that no one will buy him. And the triple dog dare. I mean, who hasn't thought about triple dog daring someone to put their tongue on something cold? When we bring in these light pillars uh, every Sunday morning, they are ice cold as we carry, carry them in. And somebody a few weeks ago said, man, I, I, I dare you to put your tongue on that. And I thought, ah, a Christmas story. Been there, done that, and, and won't do it again. Uh, you think about Miracle on 34th Street, a wonderful movie about Santa. Uh, in the little girl in the Miracle on 40, uh, 30, 34th Street. It's a wonderful life with Jimmy Stewart, another Christmas classic. Um, the Charlie Brown Christmas that probably all of us have seen and, and the little tree that they have. Uh, and then of course, who could forget most recently Buddy the Elf? Uh, you know, who, who is, uh, who's a family member of all of us. You know, when we think about Christmas, there are a lot of Christmas characters that we know. And that we watch and that we love and that, you know, that, that we relate to. I mean, who hasn't wanted to answer the phone? Uh, Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? At least once around the, the holiday season. Uh, I love Christmas, but Christmas is about, uh, if you take your sermon notes and you look on the top, Christmas, the Christmas story, the real Christmas story, really revolves around two families and two babies, believe it or not. they you say, wait a minute, I th- you know, I thought it was one family, one baby. Really, as you enter Scripture, in Luke chapter 1, we find out that the Christmas story begins with two families and two babies. And as we follow the Christmas story this morning through the eyes of both of these families, through the eyes of Mary, through the eyes of Joseph, we learn something really interesting about, uh, about how Christmas can touch us and, and the type of people that God is looking to minister to at Christmas. You know, Christmas first and foremost, as you look at the Christmas family, and we check into Luke chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 5, reading through this, we find out that Christmas really is for people who are spiritually desperate. And maybe you're here today, and you're, maybe today you're spiritually desperate. It's December 18th, it's a week till Christmas, and maybe nothing in your life is going right. Maybe nothing in your marriage is going right. Maybe there's not an answer for the health issue that you're facing, or the finance crunch that you're facing, or this year is going to be a Christmas unlike any other because maybe you're unemployed or you don't have a job. Maybe you find yourself seven days out and, and you're about as spiritually desperate as you've ever been. Uh, if that's you, join the crowd because the Bible has families like that involved in the very first Christmas story. I want to read you the story, by the way, the two families, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Uh, you might know their son more than them. Their son's name is John. We call him John the Baptist. Um, and, and then, of course, the second family, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, and maybe some of you knew, maybe some of you didn 't. Bible scholars believe that John the Baptist and Jesus were actually second cousins. Um, the, the Bible says that uh, Mary and Elizabeth are related. We think maybe Elizabeth was Mary's aunt. Uh, so Jesus and John the Baptist, we, we think they're related, maybe maybe spent time together as kids. But as we get into the Christmas story, we begin with John the Baptist, mom and dad, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And we find two people who are spiritually desperate. Really, we find two people who have really lost hope spiritually. We start in Luke chapter 1, or Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and we'll go through verse, uh, verse 25. Quite a bit of reading. Try to stay with me. It'll be on the screen behind us uh, as we go. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest. You might circle that word priest and just put pastor. John the Baptist's dad was a pastor who was spiritually desperate, who had lost hope, who hadn't seen the things in his life that he wanted to happen, happen. So in the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. That's just his genealogy. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They were good folks. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. She wasn't able to have kids and they were really probably too old to have kids is what Luke's telling us. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son... And you're to give him the name John. Now, I want to stop right there, but I'm going to continue quickly. But clearly, Zechariah was praying that he and his wife would have a child. Because the angel said, your your prayers answered, and here's the answer. You're, you're going to have a baby. I don't know what, you, what you're praying for this Christmas season, but I want you to know God answers prayer. And maybe it's a baby, and maybe it's your marriage, and maybe it's your job, and maybe it's your health. Who, who knows what it is? But I want to tell you, God answers prayer. So keep praying because at some point in time God's going to answer that prayer and what you're praying for is going to happen. Verse 14, he, the child, will be a joy uh, a joy and delight to you. And many are going to rejoice because of his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never going to take wine or other fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he's going to bring back to the Lord their God and he's going to go on before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient the wisdom of righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And the angel answered and said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you're going to be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were all waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed there so long. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. Now, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Verse 25, I want you to see this carefully. The Lord has done this for me, she said, and these days he has shown his favor and he's taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, when you first come upon the scene of of Luke chapter one, you hear about this wonderful couple, this guy who's a pastor, his wife, who's a saint. And we're told they're good people, but we're told that the thing they wanted most in life had not been given to them. And they were spiritually desperate. They were spiritually not only desperate, they were spiritually hopeless. And here's how little hope they had spiritually. When an angel actually showed up and said, the thing you've been praying for forever is actually going to happen. Zachariah's first response wasn't thank you, but no way. It's impossible. I mean, this thing has been going on so long in our life. This thing has been going wrong so long in our life that that it's not possible that things could finally get better. And it's interesting because we hear a very interesting term from uh, from Elizabeth when in verse twenty five, I want you to circle one specific word in verse twenty five when she talks about what the Lord has done for her and what getting pregnant has done for her, she says this, the Lord has done this for me and these days he he has shown me his favor and he's taken away, I want you to underline or circle this word or jot it down on your sermon notes, he's taken away my disgrace. Now that's a really interesting word. And it's, it's an interesting word because disgrace, embarrassment, shame is why I believe a lot of people in this community don't go to church. Because something in their life Something in their past, something they've done, some decision they've made, something that has happened to them leaves them so ashamed and so embarrassed that they feel disgraced. And they think, you know, if I would go to that church and I would get around religious people and I would get around good people and they knew who I really was, I would be embarrassed. This is the type of people that Zachariah and Elizabeth were. They were people trying to live right, but deep down they were embarrassed. They were disgraced. They were humiliated that they felt like their life wasn't together as much as other people's lives were together. And maybe you're in here today and your life is not together, and guess what? You're in the right place. Because our life, the people around you, our lives are not together either. And if we all had to take a microphone today and, and get up in a microphone and tell people what was really happening in our life this week, this month, this year, you know what, we we would all feel a little disgrace. We'd all feel a little ashamed at the fight we had with our spouse yesterday or on the way to church. Don't deny it. I know people fight on the way to church. You you, all, you know, you're late. You were early. You didn't dress the kids good enough. You forgot to comb her hair. You know, I mean, all those things that go... On and on and on. I have people tell me every time I say that. They say, you know, you're so, my wife and I fought all the way to church when you said that. We thought maybe you knew. Um, no, I didn't know. I just, you know, Danielle often yells at me on the way to church, so I understand how how that happens, and why that happens. But you know what? You need to know at Christmas time, in the presence of God, there's no need to be disgraced. There's no need to be embarrassed. There's no need to be ashamed because God knows who you are. He knows what you've done, and He really doesn't care. He loves you according to the Bible. And, and we look at Zechariah and we look at Elizabeth and we say, man, you know, their, their life was painful. Their life was hard. Their life was disgraceful in their eyes. But you know what? God really moved. You know, a few years ago, a guy named Bruce Wilkinson wrote a pretty popular book, a real, real thin book. Those are always the popular ones because they're easy to read. Um, and it was called The Prayer of Jabez. And maybe you remember reading this book, The Prayer of Jabez. And it, it's, a, it's a one-verse prayer in the Bible in First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9. And it's a very simple prayer. It only has four parts. Uh, Jabez prayed that the Lord would bless him, that he'd expand his territory, which means he make him successful, that he would keep his hand on him, that God would never leave him, and that he'd keep him from evil, that he would keep bad things from happening to him. And a few years ago, everyone started praying that prayer, because you can pray it in 10 seconds. Lord, bless me uh, and expand my territory and keep your hand upon me and keep me from evil. But everyone leaves off verse 10. Verse 10 is Jabez asked for all those things. He said, Lord, I want you to do these things for me for this reason. So that I won't cause pain. See, the Bible says that Jabez, when he was born, caused pain to his mother. And she gave him the name Jabez, which means cause pain. And Jabez said, I don't want to. He, he prayed that prayer so he wouldn't be a disgrace. He prayed that prayer so that he wouldn't hurt everyone he was around. He prayed that prayer so that he would be uplifting in the eyes of others. Uh, you know, not, not degrading. He said, Lord, do these things for me so that I won't cause pain. You know, the Christmas story has in it people who are spiritually desperate. You know, spiritual desperation is not bad. I pray more when I'm spiritually desperate. Are you like me? I mean, when things are going great, sometimes I forget to pray, and I'm just, you know, it's really easy. But when things go bad, man, I find myself praying a lot more when things go bad. Spiritual desperation is not always bad because sometimes it brings you much closer to God than than you would have been. And sometimes in your spiritual desperation, you're, you're like Zechariah. You're praying, God, give us a baby. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you a baby. And you're like, no way. I never thought that would happen. You know, in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, one of, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, because it's the way I pray all the time, unfortunately. There's a dad who has a son who's been sick. And his son's been having seizures. And sometimes he'll have seizures around the water or at home, around the fire pit in their house. And his dad said, you know, sometimes these seizures almost kill my son. And he asked Jesus to help him. And Jesus said, I I can help him if you'll believe that I could just put your faith in me. And the father said this in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. He exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Like, I I think I believe. But in my heart, sometimes I wonder, like, if God can really do anything. Pure honesty. Pure honesty for somebody who spiritually was hurting. Yeah, I believe God could change his situation. But deep down, I, I don't know if he will. So I pray, Lord, you know, I believe, but help me when I don't believe. You be God, because sometimes I'm really spiritually desperate. So Christmas is for spiritually desperate people. Maybe that you, maybe the only reason you came here today was to watch your son or daughter or grandson, granddaughter, niece or nephew, child of a friend. But deep down, you're spiritually desperate. And God had you come here today so that you could hear He loves you, and it's okay. And He can help you. Even when you don't believe enough, He can help you. Christmas is also, if we continue reading through Luke chapter 1, for people who are spiritually determined. And this, you, you're going to find it really interesting where spiritual determination comes from as we move through the midst of Luke chapter 1. If we just continue in the text, in verse 26, we meet a young girl named Mary, Jesus' mother. And it says, in the sixth month. Now, if we connect that to two verses ahead, you say, what? In the sixth month of what? Was it June? No, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We just read a few verses before that for five months she didn't see anyone. In the sixth month of her pregnancy, so we're connecting the two stories now, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, same angel, to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. you found favor with God. You're going to be with child, and you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How's this going to happen? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born to you will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. You're the Lord's sir. I'm the Lord's sir. Whatever God wants to do in me is cool. We see someone very spiritually determined to live a life that God has planned for. I'll do whatever God wants me to do. Let me ask you, are you in a position today that you would do whatever God wants you to do? And don't answer that question without thinking about it. I mean that this way. If you were to go home tonight and go to bed, and in the middle of the night an angel were to wake you up, and after you got done having a panic attack or fainting or when you came to, and that angel was still standing there, and he said, hey, I'm from God, and God says, do this. Would you, does God have a blank slate with your life to ask you to do whatever he wants you to do? Maybe God wants you to do something as simple as forgive your spouse for how they've hurt you. You willing to do whatever God wants you to do? Maybe God wants you to do something as simple as forgive one of your children or maybe forgive a parent for how they've hurt you. Are you willing to do whatever God wants you to do? Maybe God wants you to finally this year make some tough decisions to get out of debt so you can be more financially secure. Maybe God wants to say, we haven't even talked about big things yet. Maybe God wants you to quit your job and go be a missionary. Are you willing to do whatever God wants you to? Because that's what Mary said. Mary said, look, I'm cool. I'm I'm pregnant. Wow. Uh, Okay. Whatever God wants. If God said it, I'll do it. I want you to go to verse 28. If if the word that described Elizabeth was disgraced, in verse 28 the, the word that describes Mary is highly favored. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Elizabeth was disgraced. Mary was favored. That highly favored means she was one of God's favorites. The angel came to Mary and said, Hey, did you know that you are one of God's favorites? It's interesting when you think about your favorite things. Did any of you see the... the have any of you ever seen The Sound of Music? Me, me neither. You know, I, I don't watch movies like that either, but I've heard about it. Um, and in this movie, it came out in 1965, um, in this movie, there's a song that came out that's been incredibly popular. It's called My Favorite Things. Um, and there's some weird lady that runs around the mountains with a group of kids singing, singing songs, from what I understand. And, and she sings a song that, that goes something like... I've got the words down so I don't have them memorized. uh on roses and whiskers on... Yeah, you all have seen the movie. She knows how only the ladies answer, except for, that, <laughs> except, for that, uh, except for that one guy who really loves his wife. It's about his wife. He doesn't love the movie. Um, bright copper kettles and warm woolen minton. You know, those are weird things to think about when you're miserable. But she said, you know, she's telling this group of kids, when I'm miserable, I think about this. These are my favorite things. Um, in 1967, Barbara Streisand, who's another one of my least favorite things, um, turned this, uh, put, put this song uh, on her Christmas album. And it became a Christmas song. It's not a, it wasn't meant to be a Christmas song, but it is a Christmas song now. My favorite things. God told Mary, you're one of my favorites. You know, I think of my favorite things, my favorite food. Like if I was on death row and I could eat one last meal, I mean, that's how I think of my favorite food. If I had one meal to eat before I died, it would be steak and french fries. That's what I would eat before I died. And like the thick, crinkle-cut fries. That, that's If I had one meal to eat, I would eat steak and french fries. My favorite movie of all time is the movie Rudy uh, with the Notre Dame football player. My dog is named Rudy because of the movie. Yes, it's pathetic, but it's, yeah, it's better than the sound of music. I promise you. It's a tremendous movie. Um, I may or may not have cried during that movie every time that I watch it Uh, My favorite tv show was 24. It's off the air now But I mean I you know, I used to dream about being jack bauer and you know I'd have like nerf gun fights with christian where i'd be jack bauer and he would be the bad terrorist and I would always win Because jack bauer always wins Um, My favorite cartoon was scooby-doo, you know, which I don't know why that's not I mean uh, The cartoons that we watched when we were kids are so much better than the cartoons that our kids have now I mean great cartoons Love Scooby Doo. My favorite season is fall. Man, I, I, I told one of the uh, one of our high school kids walking in today, if I could wear a hooded sweatshirt every day of the year, I mean that that is that's my comfort zone is fall. I love when the leaves change and start falling off. My my favorite holiday is Christmas and New Year's. Uh, I, I love the Christmas time. I love New Year's. Uh, my favorite spiritual holiday is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, that's the day where I get um. You know, I, I draw real close to God on that day. Uh, my favorite sports team, unfortunately, this year is the Ohio State Buckeyes because they're, they're terrible, but hopefully that will get better. My, my favorite fast food restaurant is In-N-Out Hamburgers. If you've ever been to the West Coast and had an In-N-Out hamburger, you almost can't eat anyplace else because they're so good. There are some things that I have that are my favorite things. I just, they're, they're things I go to any time that I can around them. And Gabriel comes and he tells Mary, you're one of God's favorite things. And he loves the way you live your life. Why? Because Mary said, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I'll do whatever God wants me to do. There are very few people in the world that are this spiritually determined that they'll do whatever God wants them to do. But it's interesting because five times in Scripture, we meet a woman who can't get pregnant. Mary is the exception. She could get pregnant, but she didn't. Five times and four times in Scripture, we meet a woman who can't get pregnant, but they're so spiritually determined to live for God that they have this type of prayer to God. God, if you would just give me a baby. You can do whatever you want with this baby. They're not going to be on the screen, so you don't have to write them down. But we see this with Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah has a son Isaac after not being able to have a son forever. God blesses her with Isaac. We see this with Samson, what we call the you know the Bible's strong man. Samson's mother could not get pregnant, In her misery. She prayed. God gave her a child that He would use in a ma- major way. We see this in the name in, in Hannah. Uh, it's one of my my favorite uh, names for a girl because the biblical Hannah was such a devout. Uh, believer in god and in her son samuel she begged god god just please give me a child and she had a son named samuel uh, and samuel became the great priest of god of course then there's elizabeth and john the baptist and mary and jesus five women in the bible that we we say have what we would call a, a supernatural conception where they couldn't get pregnant unless god touched him in a special way and he did and the one thing that all these women had in common is they were all determined in hardship their lives were not easy. Their lives were not happy. Their lives were not perfect. But man, they were determined to just keep moving forward spiritually and be whoever God wanted them to be. It reminds me of the verse in Job 13, 15. When, when we started the church, I, I kind of claimed this verse because people would try to tell me how hard that planning a church was and starting a church. And the, the reason we knew we were supposed to is you know, we just felt like God told us to. But I kind of claimed this verse early on. Job said it when he was going through his misery. He said, look... Even if God kills me, though he slay me, I'll trust him. And God's looking for Christians who will say this. Listen, God, even if it kills me to be who you want me to be, even if it kills me to forgive someone who's hurt me so bad, even if, for, for, even if it will kill me to, to, uh, you know, to, to go through unemployment right now, even if it will kill me to do this, if it will draw me closer to you, I want to do it. And that's what Mary was saying. God, whatever you want. This is not going to be an easy thing, but whatever you want, I'll do it. So we know that Christmas is for people who are spiritually desperate. Christmas is for people who are spiritually determined, but Christmas is for people who are spiritually dependable. It's so a really interesting characteristic that we find out of Jesus' father, Joseph, uh, who, who we saw almost drop the baby over here in the little play that we watch, and we actually find his story in Matthew chapter 1. And you can turn there in your Bibles, it's just a few pages to your left for those of you who... ...who are kind of brand new to the Bible, if you've got your Bible open... ...if you start turning back towards the front, we're in Luke, you'll go past Mark... ...and you'll find yourself in Matthew. Uh, and in Matthew chapter 1, we read the story of, uh, of Joseph. man who has to be one of the most interesting characters in the Bible. I mean, we say, yeah, Mary was really spiritual. How spiritual do you have to be for your girlfriend to get pregnant... ...without you ever sleeping with her and actually believe that? You're either really dumb or really spiritual or really desperate in, in one of those ways... And Joseph, when he heard it, you know, he didn't take the news well at first. And in those days, if you were engaged, it was a legally binding act. So in order to get unengaged, you had to get legally divorced. Um, So being engaged was as serious then as being married. And he and Mary were engaged, and he found out she's pregnant. And he thought, well, I'm going to have to end this. Probably a wise decision. Any of us would have done the same thing. But look what happens in Matthew chapter 1. We'll start in verse 18 and go through verse 24. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. That means legally engaged. But before they came together, that means before they came together. You understand what that means, right? I mean, I don't have to spell that out for the young kids in here. Before they came together, um, got together, slept together. You you get it. Um, She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. How about that? Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, That means a good man in our vernacular. And he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. There's that word again. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So he was done. He was going to do it the right way, but he was done. Verse 20, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph woke up and he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. Let me ask you this question. Can God trust you to do the right thing even when it's really hard? Can God trust you to make the right decision even when everyone else in your life would tell you to make a different decision. Because this is where Joseph found himself. Joseph is engaged. Joseph has been sexually pure with his fiance. All of a sudden, she's pregnant. And because he's a good man, he's going to divorce her, but he's not going to do it in a manner that will disgrace her. But he's going to divorce her until God says, Hang on, Joseph. Joseph, I need you to take one for the team here, because I'm doing this. And I'm sure, Joseph, that your mom and dad are going to say, leave this girl. It's very interesting that nowhere in Scripture do we see the grandparents of Jesus, neither Mary's nor Joseph's families anywhere. By law, they could have both been stoned, killed, because of the sin that they could committed in Jewish law of sexual impurity. Mary especially, because the baby wasn't Joseph's. I mean, it appears as everyone had abandoned him. And the Lord said, Joseph, listen, your friends are not going to give you the right advice here. And your, your parents are not going to give you the right advice here. And you may, for the rest of your life, struggle with credibility. When Jesus was a grown man, somewhere between the age of 30 and 33, I, I, I won't say the word. One day I'll teach through it in John chapter 8. The Pharisees basically called Jesus the word that starts with B-A-S-T um, because everyone knew that Joseph wasn't his real dad. And the Pharisee said, you don't even have a, you don't even have a dad. Nobody even knows who your dad is. It's 30 years later. Joseph would never live this down. But God knew that he could trust Joseph to do the right thing. Even though it was the hard thing. Even though it would hurt his reputation in the eyes of people who would never know better. It would harm his reputation forever. But God knew Joseph was dependable. And God knew that if Joseph knew God was saying, do this, Joseph was going to do it and he was just going to keep doing it until God said stop, reminds me of the verse Luke sixteen ten. Because Joseph was trusted with a lot here, but somewhere along his life, Joseph had proven himself faithful to God. And in Luke sixteen ten, the Bible says, "Whoever can be trusted with very little, can be trusted with much." And what we find in Joseph is someone who apparently, in God's eyes, had always done things the right way. Someone who, in God's eyes, had been in very uncomfortable situations before, but instead of taking the easy way out. He did what was right. And God said, yeah, I can trust this guy because I've watched this guy. And when things get difficult and when family starts bailing and friends start bailing, he always does the right thing. I can trust this guy. And he found this girl who would do anything. And he found this guy that he could trust in any circumstance. And he said, this is the couple to raise Jesus. They'll put him in an environment to be who I need him to be. So Christmas is for people who are spiritually dependable. You know, have you been faithful this year with the things in your life? Faithful with how you've loved your spouse? For those of you who are married, can you look back on 2011 and say, you know what, this year I've really loved my spouse the way that, the way that, uh, that God would want me to. I've been a faithful husband, a faithful wife this year. Can you say you've been faithful parents? You know, God's blessed me with these two kids. Two kids. And I've done my, not perf, I've done my very best with them. Can you be say, say you've been faithful with your finances? You've not spent a lot more money than you've had or just thrown money away on, on junk. You know, God's given you, you know, I, I don't know that any of us would say God's given us enough. We'd all like to have more. But have we been faithful with what God has given us? Have you been faithful with your talents, your abilities, your skills? See, God is looking for spiritually dependable people at Christmas to give tasks that he knows, if done correctly, can change the world. And that's what this church is all about. This church is all about finding people who are spiritually desperate, who think they're spiritually disgraced and saying, it's okay, you can have a second chance. It's about finding people who are spiritually determined and saying, let's find out what God wants us to do to together and then go do it. And, and being filled with people who are spiritually dependable, who will say, regardless what situation, I will learn how, To do the right thing. That's what we want this church to be about. And if you're in here today. Again maybe you just came to listen to a little kid sing today. But instead you ended up today hearing from God. And God said today you need to know I can help you. Today you need to know I love you. Today you need to know you can have a second chance. And I just want to pray for you. So I'm going to ask everyone in here to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And as we close today with every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, we never close a service at Journey Church International without giving people the opportunity to become a Christian. You say, what exactly does that mean? It means that you recognize that the God of the universe loves you. And that while you don't measure up to his perfect standard, that's okay because he'll forgive you. But he desires to have a relationship with you. He doesn't just desire for you to go to church. He desires to have a relationship with you. So how do I become a Christian? Do I have to sign something? Do I have to get baptized? Do I have to go to a class? No. The Bible says literally you just believe in your heart. You believe in your heart that God loves you, that He sent His Son to live and die for you, that you can be forgiven and that you can live for God. And then you confess it with your mouth. say, what's that mean? It means you say a prayer. So I don't know how to pray. I'm going to pray for you with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this auditorium. I'm going to say a prayer. And if today is the day you came in spiritually desperate, but you need God. Today is the day that you want to become more spiritually determined. Today is the day that you want to begin maybe for the first day being spiritually dependable every head bowed and every eye closed if today's the day you want to become a christian because you've never done that before but god has spoken to you and said you need to take this step today then just pray these words you don't even have to pray them out loud i'm going to say a prayer you can repeat it in your heart in your head god will hear your prayer today just pray this dear god i need you in my life i recognize that you love me that you will always love me no matter what. And that you can erase anything before this moment and allow me to start brand new. So I ask you today, God, to forgive me of the things in my life that I've done that you would not have approved of. And ask you to change me to become who you want me to be. Help me to become determined to live for you. Help me to become dependable, living for you. And bless me to go and make a difference in the world that I live in. With every head bowed and every eye closed all over this auditorium, please nobody looking around out of respect for the privacy of those around you. If you just prayed that prayer today, say, Christian, today I just became a Christian. Would you just slip your hand up so that I can know all over this auditorium, from front to back, just slip it up and you can put it down real quickly. Christian, I just prayed with you today. I wonder how many today in this auditorium, while we're still in a state of prayer, would say, I'm pretty spiritually desperate right now. I'm facing something that I don't even know if God can help me with. And you need prayer. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But if you're in here today and today you find yourself a week out from Christmas pretty desperate, just let me pray for you. God, I pray for the men and the women, the teens in this congregation today who find themselves just kind of at the end of their rope spiritually. You're wondering if this will be the last marriage, uh, the last Christmas they ever spend with their spouse. Maybe this is their first Christmas away from their spouse. Maybe for, uh, for a mom or a dad in here, this will be the first Christmas morning. They don't have their kids with them because of some kind of joint custody situation. And it's going to be a hard week and a hard holiday. For some in here, this will be the first Christmas they've spent without a mom and dad who have gone on to heaven or a grandma or a grandpa. So, Lord, I just pray that you will touch, like you touched Zachariah and Elizabeth, desperate people who didn't have much hope. Touch the people in Journey Church International today who just need your encouragement, who up until this point have felt disgraced, embarrassed, ashamed at their life, but who need to understand and realize that you give them a second chance. Help that to happen today. Speak to their mind and heart. Let them know. No more embarrassment. No more shame. Things can become brand new. Lord, just comfort them this Christmas and New Year's season. Uh, Lord, be with our church. Be with our church on Christmas Eve as uh, we reach out to a lot of people in the community. Um, just help us to make a difference for you. We love you. let we'll these see things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said together, amen. Here's what we're going to do just before we... Uh...